Hello, everyone. This is Sonata Alice, and you're listening to episode 20 of the Parallel Podcast, where we talk about sexuality as it should be. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm really excited to talk about this topic today. But first, I want to do some shout outs because we got some new people out here. So we got some people in France, in the Netherlands. <laughs> Who would have thought? One I can't really spell, Czechia. I'm assuming it's a close to the Czech Republic. I probably could be wrong, though. People in Austria, Italy, India is going strong still. Got some people in Thailand, the Cayman Islands, Australia, South Africa. Just a lot of people in here. So we're a part of a huge family, guys. And yeah, I just want to thank you guys again for listening and wanting to grow your knowledge on the importance of you know aligning our lives with sexuality what with christ a lot aligning our sexuality with christ so yeah the topic today is about men and you know i was writing it after another failed experience on a dating app but i thought i should have a man talk about the topic because he can probably give us some more information on the way that men think because oftentimes i am baffled So I actually used to follow George and his wife on YouTube for a little while. And I just re-found him, uh, I think, the past couple of weeks. And I asked him to come on to have this conversation. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy this. You're going to learn a lot. I have a lot of moments where you're like, oop. And yeah, I think you'll just enjoy it all together. So let's get right into it. All righty. So hello, George. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm great. Good to hear. Well, as you guys can probably already see, the topic is about men and probably what men should be. I wasn't quite sure right now at this point what I should name it, but I just knew we need to have this conversation about men. So I invited George on. But before we start the interview, I always start the interviews by asking people what is one aspect of God's character, the Trinity's character that has been evident through your life? Oof. Just one, right? Yeah. I think they're inextricably tied together, but I'll just say the one, the one for me has been truth. Truth is just, it's like the highest value that I have found in humanity. Therefore, it's, it's one of the only things that I even attempt to pursue. So, and again, I think it's inextricably tied to grace if we're in Christ, but truth is the highest value for me. Yeah, that's a good one for sure. And I can definitely relate to that as well. Good stuff. All right. So I want to talk about this subject, this subject, just to basically encourage men to honor God with their dating and their lives, but also to encourage women not to settle for men who can't be trusted or don't have what they need. So I first want to kind of outline Tell us a little bit about your background on this topic. Why are you someone we should listen to? I don't know that I'm somebody you should listen to, to be quite honest. (laughs) What I do know is I have had a lot of sexual experience. And I got to a point where I was so enamored and I'll say consumed by pleasure that I had nowhere else to go. I got to a point in my life, and I tell my young friends this all the time, if you're a man and you can have sex whenever you want to, something's wrong. And I got into a place in my life where I had just exhausted pleasure. And when you've exhausted pleasure, there's really nowhere else to go. 
So if I'm somebody you should listen to, I think you should listen because the pursuit to be cool, the pursuit to be popular, all of those things that men, for whatever reason, we kind of covet that. I've been in those positions. I'm not rich by any stretch of the imagination, but there have been times in my life where I've had enough money to have freedom and I've had enough money to play and do, you know, not on, not on a, a grand scale, but enough to know that it's exhaustive. And in my sexuality is the one place that I found that doesn't matter who you are, every human's life has a direct impact to some sexual act. It's how we all get here. So it matters. How we govern ourselves sexually matters. And what I found for myself, and I think it's true for all men, is if a man can control himself sexually, and I mean abstaining from sex, abstaining from pornography, masturbation, if he could do that for just one year out of his life, and I mean consecutively, I sincerely think and believe with everything in me that he can change his existence in a way that will not only shock him, but everybody around him will be intrigued by what he's been able to accomplish. So in that regard, I think I'm worth taking a listen to until we find somebody who's done it on an even higher scale than myself. Yeah. And I mean, we're all growing in, in Christ. So I don't think you not being at a higher scale disqualifies you, but Truly. I definitely yeah. think you have some awesome stuff to say to people. And you also wrote a book, right? I did. On the subject. I did. And it's called Strong Boys, Fragile Men, right? Can you talk a Strong little, Boys, little Fragile Men. I'm alluding to what I was saying earlier. Like I grew up, there are no kids in the world that grow up more precocious and more loved than young black boys. There is an air of newness, an air of hope. This kid could be something special. In a sense, across the board, we're, we're kind of lottery tickets because we're gifted, we're athletic. And you grow up and you're a strong young man because you have all of the reinforcements that you need. You have the sports, you have that immediate attention. But once that's gone, that's when the, the fragility of manhood comes in because it's like, well, the things that have given me this identity, they're no longer here. And if those things are no longer here, then who am I? And that's where the title came from. And I just began to, you know, just kind of walk through my testimony and how God saved me from a life of silliness that I really wanted, but it just had no end to it and there was no fulfillment in it. Yeah. So what do you think the like biggest takeaway from that book would be? The biggest takeaway I think is, and this isn't anything that I explicitly say in my book, but there is a chapter of things that I would have said to myself at the age of 20. The biggest takeaway is understanding that you don't have to experience everything to get the wisdom from it. And the fact that we think we do we think that, well, I got to go through it myself to know. Well, that's foolish because going through it yourself, you're using your own time, which is your greatest resource. And if I can gain 10 years of wisdom from a book, why wouldn't I get 10 years of wisdom from that book as opposed to having to live out those 10 years? So that's the biggest takeaway. It's like, hey, take somebody else's wisdom and be strong enough to believe that what they're saying is sincere and true and it's applicable because there's logic therein. So that's the greatest takeaway in my estimation. Yeah. It's using wisdom instead of experience. That's so important. And as you said that, that's kind of one thing I've been thinking about. What is a good man or a man a woman should submit to? Because there's a lot of passive men out there. 
And there's also confident men, arrogant men, but it's the wise men that you want to follow. So yes. I was thinking like, it's not only confidence because I thought of this like example, if you and your significant other are at the top of a cliff and he's like, yeah, let's, let's just jump in. That's a confident man. You ask him like, are you sure? Like there might be things down in the water. Like, are you, you don't want to go down and test it. No, I'm for sure. You're going to be fine. Then she hops in and the water's shallow. So that was a confident man. She trusted him. But a confident, wise man would have went down, checked the water first, and then we would hop off. Yes. So I think that's the big difference, too. Like a wise man. That's so important. Is there something you want to add to that? I don't know if you wanted me to comment on that or not. I do. <laughs> I think wisdom and confidence go hand in hand. I think as your wisdom increases, confidence is directly tied to it. So giving your example, your wisdom keeps you from being confident in situations where you know you have no practice or experience. That's good. Right. So wisdom. And I think you asked me one question about arrogance. Like, and I think that's the separation, right? I can be confident in something that I've prepared myself for and I've sacrificed for. Arrogance comes in when you haven't prepared for it or sacrificed for it, but you still believe you can accomplish the, whatever the end goal is. Right. I guess what arrogance is. Yeah, Thinking I can do it devoid of practice and sacrifice. So in your example, to be confident that we can jump. Yeah, I mean, we can jump. Of course, we can be confident in that. But especially when you're talking about leading a woman or a wife or a, any, any woman that you care for in that instance. Before you encourage her to do anything, me, me personally, before I encourage my wife to do anything, I'm first partaker in it. I'm going to go and make sure the path is clear. So if anything, I'm going to jump first and the advice will be, hey, when you see me hit the ground, if I splatter all over this place, you know not to go this way. And the only way I'm taking that jump is if we're in a situation where if we don't jump, we're going to die anyway. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. my life is going to be the sacrifice first. But I don't think we can necessarily be confident in spaces that our wisdom tells us there's no reason for you to be confident. Yeah, that makes now, sense. if we need to take a chance, we'll take it. But we don't take unnecessary risk. Yeah. So that kind of ties into passive men and women not wanting to submit to them. So what is your thoughts on that? I guess, how do you define passive? So I was thinking about that as well. Like, how do we define passive? I was thinking like passive would be a man that's kind of agreeable, kind of goes with whatever the woman wants or, or says, and isn't like, I guess, a leader. How would you define it? Got it. Okay. So now that I'm married, I can define it differently, right? Because in, in my singleness, it was one thing, but then the practicality of the marriage is another thing. So okay. for instance, my wife and I just moved in our house, right? We just, we glory to God. Awesome. I don't have a lot of say so in what goes on in the house as far as the decor and the things that I would like to see. My wife is just like, no. <laughs> right. So in that regard, I'm extremely passive. Okay. But how the house is directed, I'm 100% the asserter because it's like, okay, that doesn't fly. Yeah. You can put the flowers there, but essentially who gets to come see the flowers, how the people who come into the house interact with the flowers. That's totally on me. Right. So the structure of the house is, well, excuse me, the foundation of the house, the principles we're going to live by, the integrity we're going to do it with, that's all me. Structurally, the beautification of the house, that's my wife, so I'm passive in that, in that regard. 
And I think once a man has established himself as a confident man, and then his confidence has been able to speak to something in a present moment that was a future outcome. I spoke to an outcome in the future, and then my wife or the woman that I'm with was able to see that outcome come to fruition. I think women are able to say, okay, I can trust that thing in him. That allows them to step back and not be so independent and not be so assertive. And then as a man, that allows me to step back and not have to be so assertive so I can allow myself to be passive in some areas as well. Now, in the premarital stages, passive men are a huge turnoff. For sure. Because all you have to be assertive about is your vision, your dream, and the conviction that you have to follow it through. So men are passive when they don't have a sense of understanding of why they are here. And it's double, it's a lot harder today. A generation before us, men knew that if I go to work, if I provide for a house, then I deserve a family. Men today no longer have that security. I can go to work, I can be able to provide, and I still may not have a family because the woman that I could provide for doesn't necessarily need the provision that I have. That makes sense. That immediately diminishes a lot of my confidence because most men don't earn on a high level. Most men aren't wildly attractive. So if I'm not that good looking and I don't earn a lot of money, and then on top of that, I'm struggling with my Christianity and my walk with Christ, to a Christian woman, I'm very unattractive. So the clip that I reposted from yours is like, that's so spot on to what we're talking about right here. The types of men who are passive, Christian men, because we have been exposed to culture, the culture says that even as a Christian man, you got to look good and you got to earn money. Well, most Christian men don't earn a lot of money. And most of us don't look that good. And it's like, so when you start to couple these things together, right, and you start to say, okay, a Christian man who earns well, a Christian man who looks good, and then earns well, because if you earn well, then your looks, they can be diminishing the more you earn, right? But let's say that you're a Christian man who does look good, and then you earn well. It's like your biggest challenge is not finding a woman. Your biggest challenge is always going to be staying faithful to one because you have so many options. Mm, Yeah, that makes sense. So with, and I don't want to go too far outside of what you're asking. I just kind of get on these little rants. No, we can go there. (laughs) But I'm, I'm passionate about this stuff, man, because I made a prediction about 10 years ago. I was like, two generations from now, marriage won't even be a thing in the body of Christ. It won't even be a thing. Wow, you feel that way. It's one of those things that you predict. I'm like a mad social scientist in my own right, right? It's one of those things you predict, but you pray that you're wrong about it. Yeah. So you predict it and you begin to go look for the answers, right? So I started on myself first. And I'm like, okay, abstaining is the one thing that allowed me to know that I wanted a wife. Because if you're Christian, there's only two options. You're single or you're preparing for marriage. Yeah, that's it. There is a gift of singleness, which the Apostle Paul calls celibacy, or he calls it a gift that God has given him. There is no single Christian lifestyle that allows you to practice fornication. There isn't one. So if you don't have the gift of singleness, which is celibacy, then you are to be married. And I think in the body of Christ, we've we've gotten into this space. Well, 
I don't know that I'm called to be married, but I but I know for a fact that I'm not called to a life of singleness. So I'm going to willingly struggle with staying faithful in my sexuality because God knows my heart. And it's like, no, you've been deceived. You're deceiving right. or, yourself. Uh, you're deceiving being others. Yoked. Being unequally yoked. Same thing. So as I begin to push into this thing, and then once you talk about how the LGBT community has been able to advance, and then you begin to talk about like preferences for Christian women, it's like, wow, I can really see how two generations from now this won't be a thing. Wow. So in your understanding, like if a man's not highly attractive or has a lot of money and can't provide, how can he be confident then? Jesus Christ, I don't know. I was attractive enough to have a confidence in that regard. Mm. I was able to earn enough and I had big enough dreams and ambitions to know that coupled with the little bit of attractiveness that I have and the charisma that God has given me, I can even work that regard. So I honestly... There are some things that we can't speak on because we haven't felt it from that perspective. But I have some homeboys who are Christian and they are unattractive. I can't lie. They're, they're unattractive guys and they don't earn a lot of money. And I, <laughs> I mean, you know, somebody don't look good, right? Yeah, I, that's what I tell people all the time. God may think they're beautiful, like, but to society. Yes. But, but even in the Bible, like Moses described, and God gave Moses a description, Moses described Leah as an unattractive woman. Yep. She, was, she was blessed because she was able to have children. And Rachel, with her fine self, she couldn't have kids. Mm-hmm. So you know when somebody doesn't look good. So I have some Christian homeboys who are unattractive and they don't earn a lot of money, but they're strong in Christ. And I hear a lot of amazing women talking about there are no good Christian men. I'm saying you're a liar. They are good and they are Christian. They just don't look good and they don't earn well. So the lifestyle that you would hope that a Christian man could provide you, you just can't have that. Y'all going to have to work every day. You may not get but one vacation every year. Your friends ain't going to be turning their heads talking about how cute your husband is. He's just going to be an average, hardworking working. $40,000 a year earner. There is not going to be anything special about your life. There is going to be no need to post social media pictures pretending that y'all the cutest couple in the world. Man. So it just isn't attractive to women. Yeah. And yeah. understandably so. And I think what it comes down to maybe then, since they lack those things, it's just to a Christian woman, you should be attractive for your love for Christ then. Like it's going to have to be confidence in God that you have your faith in Christ and your just you being able to just be enough. I think that's the thing that attracts women the most, because like you said, they're not going to, sometimes they're not attractive. And then you realize like their personality or their walk with Christ. And it's like, Oh, you know what? This can work. See, that's where we get into that intersectionality. It's like that convergence point of, okay, he's not that attractive. So he could be enough, but then you run into the issue well, he doesn't earn a lot of money. So our lifestyle doesn't have a lot of flexibility. There are certain levels of income where you can look and project forward that, okay, even if he's a great investor, we're still 10 years out from the freedom that I would like to have. 
And although in 10 years, I'll only be, what, 37, 30, I'll be under 40 in 10 years still. There's this thing that wants this immediate gratification, right? Like, so, so a lot of times we're prisoner by our desire to want things yeah, now. Yeah, preference. Yes. So even if this guy, he doesn't look that great, he's not a great earner, but he has the ability to invest and he can see some things long term, that still doesn't intrigue me today because everything that we are about today, even in the body of Christ, as sad as it is, is instant gratification. My homegirls are not going to respect me right now for this decision. Ten years down the road, they would. But my God, how do I make it a decade? Yeah, but that's too much. Who, who cares? I mean, I get, there's a lot of people that care about that stuff. But I think you have to get to the point of not caring what people think because... I watch Dave Ramsey a lot because this man doesn't care. You can eat rice and beans, he says, till you pay off all your debt. Like, if you want it, you can have it. You're just going to have to sacrifice your preferences at the end of the day. So for the Christian women who are willing to sacrifice those preferences, there is an abundance of good men out here for you. I can see that. Right? (laughs) Right? But then you start, like... You start to think about it, you're like, oh, God, I guess looking at it that way, then, yeah, there is. But my goodness, I still want what I want. So what we end up doing as humans is we just hold out a little longer. It's like, yeah, I see that that average guy who's an average earner who I could be okay with in 10 years. So I'm going to kind of put him in my pocket just in case I run into this other guy. That's where we get yeah, in trouble. Yeah, makes sense. Because now we're manipulating. And this is the struggle that I see. And I'm just like, my God, marriage is, <laughs> it's a jungle out here. And that's why I said it's a miracle to be married at this point. Like, <laughs> And you were spot on. I fully believe that. But so my question to you is, when you say it's a miracle, I agree. But what do you think the miracle is? Just, I mean, I guess it comes down to preference then. Because it's not hard to find a man that loves Jesus. It's hard to find a man that loves Jesus, is attractive, and also is funny. So. Those are my things. Like, I haven't found that. So, see, I look at it as the miracle is going to be, and not coming straight at you, but just for, for the young women who will hear this. The miracle, in my mind, in my estimation, is a woman who says, you know what? I do prefer a good-looking man because I feel like I'm an attractive woman. I do prefer a man that earns 50% more than I do because I am earning 40, 50,000 a year. But because I'm wise enough to realize that the chances of me coming across that man and him being in Christ are so slim that I'm going to put all of that to the side and I'm going to take what God has put in front of me right here. That's the miracle, the humility to say the likelihood of me running into the thing that I know I can have. It's so slim that I'm not going to waste the next 11 years hoping and praying for it and being frustrated with God about it. Yikes. That's the miracle to me that a woman can say, I'm letting it go. Mm-hmm. Hey, Johnny, come on with your ugly self. <laughs> <laughs> that is a miracle. You're right. That's the miracle because that's hard. That's hard. That's the miracle. I've been in situations where I've seen, I've like gone on dates with guys that I think the thing that catches me is that they're not confident. Like 
I've been on dates with guys where I'm like, uh, I can I can do with this, you know, like with his face, but his confidence is just not there. That's kind of the thing I've been running into the most. And I don't think I can settle for someone who's not confident because like we were saying earlier, like, how's he going to lead your family? But what I would like to say to you and young women like you, you're a pretty woman, you're confident. Men are not confident. Like if you pick a random man out of a group of 100 men, you're going to probably pick a non-confident man. Men are just not confident. But in that 100, there are about 10 of us who are so confident that we are we pretty much set the standard for what women would prefer. Some people call them alpha males. Some people call them other things. There are a few men who are so confident that women encounter these types of men in some way. And they say, "Ooh, I like that. I like the way that made me feel. And they totally disregard the fact that the other 85 to 90 men are not confident at all. It's just that the men who are so the confident men are so active that it makes women and it gives the impression that a lot of men are confident. And it's not true. There's a book Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers, and he was pretty much talking about like people who commit crime or did you go to college? We'll do it this yeah. way. Did you go to okay? So there are a few guys at your college that you know had all the women. Oh yeah. <laughs> like you can probably think about one or two of them off the top of your head. So on a campus of ten thousand, there may be eighty guys like him. Not even 80, that's too many because say a campus of 10,000 men, 10,000 women, we'll do it that way. So a campus of 20,000, there may be about 80 to 100 men who are just the man. Those 100 men are having sex with about 80% of the women who are having Mm, sex. That makes sense. Because like they just like when you're confident, you just move that much. Right? And the preferences that a woman may have had that you just couldn't fulfill, even though she liked your confidence, she just preferred the same confidence in a different package. The other 90% of men aren't that confident. So when they get a female, when they get a woman, they're trying to lock it down because this thing is rare for them. But men that are really confident, they don't care. It's like, if if you don't want me, I'll get another one. And what that does psychologically is it makes the women want them even more. It's so sad. (laughs) It's a crazy thing that happens. So, yeah. So by that time, by the time that you've been enamored, enamored by that type of guy, you're even more turned off by the non-confident guy. And his non-confidence is like a scarlet letter just all over so his So what chair. are we supposed to do in that situation, I don't want to take though. over the podcast. See, this is where, this is where you get into the, the trouble of, I don't want to call it trouble. This is the conundrum of being a Christian woman today. If you're not a Christian woman... Then, you know, learn some sexual skill, get out there and practice a little bit, work yourself into that space. If you're a Christian woman, yeah. <laughs> they say that they that wait on the Lord, he shall renew that strength. <laughs> that's so, where I'm at. <laughs> holding on. <laughs> that's holding on. The old saints used to say, I'm yet holding on. And that's it. You got to be steadfast. And there is no other option. Being steadfast is the standard for Christians. So my challenge to you would be, and this is a a personal challenge to you because you're saying that's where you are, lower your standards a lot. When is the last time you've 
I don't want to get too personal. How do I say what I want to say? Are you dating, dating right now? Okay. How, How old, old you? am I? Yeah, I'm 26. Okay. You're right. young, but not so young, right? The peace and tranquility that you have right now from 26 to 30, it'll, it'll be pretty sta- steady. When you go to 30, something <laughs> happens this. where the anxiety... No, I deal with a lot of young women all the time. When women begin to see 30, the level of anxiety begins to hit them. And they're like, oh my God, I don't know if this is going to happen for me. So what I'm saying to you is this. At 26, you still have time to starve yourself. Let's say that you're a picky eater and you don't like anything that has been made with garlic, right? And because there's a lot of food in your kitchen, you don't eat anything that garlic touches. But whatever, for whatever reason, one day something happens and the only thing that you have left to eat is food that garlic touches. But you're a picky eater and you're stubborn. So you're going to say, I don't care. I've starved to death. That works for about two weeks. After two weeks, you say, you know what? Bring on the garlic. I don't even care how much garlic you put in it. I'm starving. It doesn't matter. I use that analogy to say this. What you may need to do is just starve yourself of all of anything that men could provide for you. And what you're going to begin to respect and honor is the fact that you're in the presence of a man. Because at that point, his confidence is not relative. It's absolute because you've been devoid of any type of male energy for so long, for any type of healthy masculinity for so long, that when it comes back into your presence, it's refreshing to you. Not because of what another man is or isn't, but because the simple fact David said it like this. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. They had been dispelled from the, from the house for 10 years. They were just glad to get in the house. And that's what happened to me. I pulled myself away from all types. I, I wouldn't hug a woman. I wasn't talking to women. I didn't have sex. I wasn't watching no pornography. I was totally away. What that did for me is it restored a sense of intimacy. So when you see a woman and you brush across her hand or you smell a woman, it's like, my God, Like just to be in the presence of one was a brand new thing for me. And I think a lot of young women like yourself, you're in a space where even though you're not finding the men, you're not finding the men that you want because you have a preference, but you haven't starved yourself of the male presence enough to not be so picky. Okay, so... Yes, you starved yourself, right? Okay. But your wife is beautiful. <laughs> so it's not like you just happy to get in the house. You got you got the house. You got a really nice house. <laughs> okay, so yes, right? But it's there. I, I got to make this distinction. I don't want to. Some things are just real. I'm a decently attractive guy. I have the ability to earn okay. And I'm confident. Not having an attractive wife was never even a thought for me because I can control that outcome. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, because you're a man, too. Like, yes. I guess you choose. Yes. As a woman, 
you don't have that luxury unless you are one of the finest women to be out here. Yeah. And then even at that level, you still have to find a man that's not wanting to test drive the car before he purchases it. You see what I'm saying? So my wife, for instance, she, my wife couldn't have made me marry her. Marriage was something that I wanted before I met her. There was nothing that she could have done to change my mind. I don't care how fine she is. Yeah, I don't true. care how much she loves God. So the men that you want that are going to marry you are men who have taken the time to realize why marriage is valuable for them. Right. And one of the reasons marriage and one of the reasons marriage is valuable to men is because they've done enough and they just know that that game ain't worth it or they're on the other end and they're like I've never had that many women. I want something that I can truly value and grow. So that and I wish my wife would be more vocal about this, right? My wife was not preparing to be she so Proverbs 18:22 says a man that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord, right? So when the Bible says finds a wife, we always reference Proverbs 31, Proverbs 31. And it says, who can find a virtuous woman? Her worth is far above rubies. The, her, her, the heart of her husband can trust in her confidently. And then it goes on all these amazing things. She's to be praised above all women. They stand at you at the front of the city gate and they pray. Like all these things, right? My wife was not preparing to be, my wife was not preparing to be a wife. My wife had made peace with the fact that Christ was the only true salvation. She wasn't necessarily concerned about serving a husband in the house. As a matter of fact, she's not that skilled. Oh, I ain't throwing my wife under the bus. But <laughs> in our generation, in our generation, women have been taught more to be independent because men aren't willing to be husbands. Right. So my wife was leaning more toward independence. So her transition, her transition to become my wife, and I'm a very masculine traditional man, her transition has been an even greater testament to how powerful the Holy Spirit is. She wasn't even looking for me. But once I came into her life, she recognized me. I was broke. I was 30 years old. I was living with my mom and daddy. And I wasn't living with my mom and daddy because I like hanging out with my pops. I was living with them because the alternative would have been sleeping in my car. Yikes. When I met my wife, how confident I was in Christ was attractive to her. But also, again, it's not by anything that I've done. My parents had a good night and, and I'm here. I was attractive enough for the confidence in Christ to be something that my wife was willing to pay attention to. Not commit herself to it, but I'll, I'll, I'll take a look at it. I see that this man is really sold out to God. I see that he's really sold out to abstinence. I see that he's really sound in, in biblical teaching. I can respect a man like that. And through that respect, I was able to buy myself enough time to get a job, to show her that I'm willing to work, to finally get into a space to say, no, I can't provide for you. And all of that is a transformation that only God could have done. Yeah. And I think that's what it comes down to then. Because, I mean, I'm completely fine. Like, I'm not completely fine. But if I were to be single for the rest of my life, Christ is enough. But my desire is still for marriage. So, yes. like you said, I could start myself for the next, I don't know, 
five years, I have great friends in my life. I can probably do that. But at the end of the day, for myself and for whoever I end up with, Christ is going to have to be enough, regardless, even if we end up together or not. What are you looking for? What type of man are you looking for? You want him to be decent? You want him to have a nice face? You want him to be funny? Like, funny to what level? Just, like, witty? Well, I'm hilarious, so, like, I think, like, goofy, just quick-witted, that's probably it. Okay, okay. That doesn't seem to be that hard. Like, what are you struggling with finding that? It's confident men that I'm having an issue with. Confident Christian men. It's like, I can I can see myself marrying someone who's not attractive. I just haven't found a confident one. All right. I'm trying to paint this picture for you from a man's perspective. Okay. What, there isn't a lot. Okay, hold on. Let me think about this for a second. When a man, because I know a bunch of ugly cats that's got more confidence than any man should have. <laughs> I can't fault you. I cannot fault you wanting a confident man. Because confidence doesn't necessarily come from being attractive. Confidence exactly. is something that confidence is something that was instilled at a young age from other confident people. Confidence comes from stability that like not not two parent stability, not financial stability, but confidence comes from a sound voice that says, uh that's not who we are. That's not what we do. I don't care how much money we ain't got. I don't care how much this or that we don't have. This is who we are. So confidence comes from sound wisdom. Like there has to be something that a man knows for certain. Right. Like, so when I see men who aren't confident, I just feel like they're not sure about anything. Like, so. I mean, and that's the thing for me too. Like, I'm not going to settle for someone who's not confident. I'm just not going to do that. I'd rather be single for the rest of my life. Yeah. I don't blame you. Yeah. I don't blame you for that. So then what would you encourage a man to do then? Because they have to be confident in something. I guess it'd just be growing in confidence in Christ or what would it have to be? So if you do Sudoku puzzles, is it Sudoku or Sudoku? Sudoku, I believe. I think it ends ends with a U. If you do Sudoku puzzles, you never get a blank puzzle, right? There are always numbers in some of the boxes. And what that allows you to do is it allows you to start with something concrete. What do we know for certain? If you build on what you know for certain, you can begin to make inferences about the things you don't know. And once you make those inferences and you connect some other dots, you can then be certain about things that you once didn't know at all. Yes. My encouragement for men is to start with the one thing you know for sure, whether it's that, hey, I'm athletic, I'm tall, I'm smart, I am funny, I'm able to talk to people. Start with that, and then you got to anchor it with the truth. Now, I am under the impression and belief that the only thing that can anchor us is Jesus Christ. But until you find Christ, I tell young men this. I say, you know, logic is that rope in the swimming pool for people for people who can't swim, that rope in the swimming pool, you pull on it. I say, imagine pulling that rope and later realizing that it's not attached to a wall. Oh my gosh. That would be traumatic. You're gonna you're gonna drown. And you know you're gonna drown. 
I said, but you feel confident about pulling the rope because the simple fact that you can pull it and the rope isn't coming to you, you're going closer to something. Mm. That is the confidence that we can have in Christ. That's the anchoring that I'm talking about. So as you pull that rope, if you pull on it long enough without stopping, if you don't get complacent and content with just being in the middle of the ocean or the middle of a swimming pool with a rope and you're going to pull it till you get to something secure, I said, eventually you're going to run into the truth of what makes you confident. That's good. And then you can recalibrate it. But you got to start with the thing that you know for certain and begin to build upon it and make inferences. You got to test it and try it out. And every man has to be willing to fail. Any man that's not willing to fail, then you're going to be a scrub your whole life. I don't know another way to put that. I can't be soft about that. You're going to be out. And I would like to use another word, but I want to be respectful to your podcast. You're going to be soft your whole life. Yeah, that's for anybody. You got to be willing to fail. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So my advice to young men who are not confident, start with the one thing that you know is a good thing. Whatever it is, you got a nice smile. You're good at math. Go around having women challenge you to do multiplication while they type the numbers in their calculator on their phone, right? There's always somewhere to start. Mm, yeah, that's awesome advice. Yeah, so finding something they're good at or they are favorable in and then anchor it to the truth. That's awesome advice. Now, for the man who seems anchored in truth, like there's a lot of guys in church who are serving or leaders that in general, but then, you know, we, we enter go. into the dating world and it seems like the anchor is themselves. What's happening? If you can lend it. Be more specific. What indication makes you feel that the anchor is themselves, not Christ, I think once you start dating? They're careless. So I think some of them know they're attractive and they're just like not willing to do anything or maybe it's their insecurity. I don't know. I just noticed that some guys are just not willing to realize like they have a great thing in front of them and then they're just careless with it. What makes the thing in front of them great? I don't know. <laughs> Jesus. I just you think there's just, there's just like, certain things, you know, like someone who's caring and loving and, and anchored to Christ, biblically sound, things like that, that someone may have. But Here's again the challenge. With attractive men, that's almost ubiquitous. But that's a problem if you're in Christ, though. For who? For them, like, they're missing out as well. Just not like, I'm, I'm not the only one missing out. They could be in a beautiful marriage. But again, I'm not even playing the devil's advocate. I'm sincerely, we're going to dig down to why I think this is happening. Yeah. But again, those attractive men have preferences as well. Right? So the amazing thing that is in front of them may not be an amazing thing to them. Yeah, that's true. One thing about men, even men who aren't ready, when they see something they want, they want it. And there is no confusion about that. There's no two ways about it. My wife knew from the first conversation she and I had, she knew I was serious. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, too, that we a lot of women are like, I've done this in the past, too. You try to like, oh, look, I'm a great thing. But at the end of the day, he will pursue you if he wants you. 
Like, that's just what it comes down to. So, and that's what I've had to learn as well. Like, I'm not going to run after any man because if he wants me, he'll make that evident. Yes, he will make it evident. This is where it gets so tricky, right? Because there comes a point where a woman could see a thing in a man, could speak to it, and that could spark his confidence. And then there's a thing where he's not confident. I'm not even investing anything to it. Yes. So one thing that I would encourage, I would encourage young women to say, listen, if you see a young man and, and speak some life into him, because maybe somebody just needs to conspire and breathe on that thing that he's uncertain about in his mind. But a lot of women see these men and they're like, oh, no, I ain't got time. It's like, well, no, no, no. As a woman of God, take a moment and breathe a little life into him. And say, hey, my man, hey, George, I've been watching you for the last two, two months, my man. Like, I like how you dress. You're real quiet, but I think you should start talking more because I feel like you got something to say. Yeah, that's good. And maybe he like, hey, got nothing to say, but that I'm going to go find something. <laughs> like, you never know how those things work. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But if the Christian women are just saying, he ain't confident, I ain't got time. Like, so when you go on these dates with these brothers who are not confident, Leave them a little bit. Say, hey, man, I, I enjoyed this day tonight. When you said blah, 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 I really liked that. I like how you articulated that. Or, hey, my man, like, you didn't say a lot tonight, but I like the way you listen. I like the way you pay attention to the room. I appreciate you taking that check and not flinching on it. Like, leave him, plant a seed, like, sow a seed into that, brother. Because men who aren't confident, they've never had that. It's hard to ask for it. It's hard to go on a date and I say, hey, you think you can say something to me that will kind of spark me and motivate me and inspire me? Because right now I'm not feeling like I'm, I'm valuable and I don't want to make this date too heavy, but I kind of just need I just need some encouragement. You'd be like, what? But that's very attractive, though. <laughs> I think that's attractive because he's emotionally intelligent. But men, see, that's another thing. Like, I, <laughs> oh, you're right. But that's a hard thing to do. See, me that. doing that just now in that moment is about 30, 30 years of practice. Emotional intelligence is something that my mama had to instill in me. I knew when I was wrong that an apology was necessary, whether it was accepted or not. And over time, it just culminated this ability to say, hey, look, I'm struggling with this. And I think men think that strength has to look a certain way. But sometimes strength is understanding that you're not what you know you can be. So I yeah, imagine, you're not strong. Yes, I imagine to you, according to what I just said, if a man could just say, hey, look, pretty much what I just said. Yeah. I've been in some relationships. They didn't go well. I'm 27 years old now. But if I can be honest with you, I've been struggling with my confidence since my early days in college when I was 19. I had this young lady that I really cared for. It did not go well. That was the first time in my life I didn't get something I wanted, and I haven't known how to deal with it. So I like you, and I want you to know that I like you. And I'm going to try my best to express that to you. But if I'm not doing it correctly, I would like that you help me figure it out because I want to know and I want to understand you well. Like, that's not something men know how to say, but it's like, if you could just be, like, that's why, the like, circling all the way back to what we talked about. The greatest virtue for me has been truth. If I just tell the truth, I can get myself out of some shit. I remember when I was abstaining, 
there was this one young lady who liked me and I knew she liked me and, and she was a very attractive young lady. And one day I just happened to be in her town and I was like, hey, I'm a side by. Horrible idea to side by. <laughs> because when I slid by, she was thinking what I was hoping she'd be thinking, but she wasn't going to pursue it in that regard because she knew that who I was on social media. So she didn't want to seem like the woman that was trying to pull me out of that space. But if it would have went down, she would have been down. I knew exactly what was going down. I got in that house. I sat for about eight minutes. And I said, God, there's no way I can get out of here. The Bible says that God always provides a way of escape. I said, if I sit here too much long, if I sit here too much longer, I'm probably just going to go over there and start touching her. If I fool around and fall asleep, then she's going to make it too comfortable and let me know that if I touched her, it's okay. I looked at her in the eyes. I said, listen here. I said, you follow me on social media. You know what I'm about. I said, but one thing that you probably don't know because you don't get to see on social media is that I'm a real, I can be a dog. I didn't come here today because I respect you that much. I came here today because I knew that there was a chance that you might have sex with me. Wow. That right there was like, it made her feel like, oh no. And it, it sucked all the oxygen out of the room. I was able to get myself up and leave. That was the only escape, to be honest. And when I got out of there and I got in my car and I was driving off, I was in my car literally screaming because I was so hyped. Because I'm like, God, like you are so faithful. Yes. Because that was the only way out. So if men would just, who cares about how embarrassing it is, to be honest? Yeah. Just tell the truth, man. If you tell the truth. Yes, just be vulnerable for a moment, man. Yeah, that's hard for humans in general, but I think because men pursue, there sometimes you just have to do more than women do. And that's like vice versa sometimes as well. So yes, you need to be vulnerable if you're pursuing someone. That's another piece of advice straight from your mouth. Be vulnerable. It plays. It plays. If you can articulate, and the emotional intelligence comes from not being able to say the things well. I tell my wife sometimes, it's not that I need you to word it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Be willing to struggle through it. Yes. That helps me understand that you get where I'm coming from. Like, so, golly. That's the hard part for me, too, because I'm literally a therapist. Like, I do this for my job. So oh, I'm, it's I'm even done harder talking. then. <laughs> it's even harder then because I want a confident man, but I also want a man who's emotionally intelligent. And I know what that looks like. So, but but that's confidence as well. Right. So you come in the front door, but then there's that back door confidence. It's like, hey, I'm confident enough to tell you where I'm weak. Exactly. And that's what the Bible talks about as well, because we are, no one is strong, no one is in in control as much as we want to be. Like God is, period. So when we can admit that and a man can admit that, that's going to be so attractive. And I think men need to fully understand that and why that's true. And I imagine having to say that, okay, so this this is, and let me know if I'm wrong. I think I may be onto something. So one of the reasons, if I were a woman, one of the reasons that I wouldn't necessarily say certain things to a man like, hey, it's okay to be vulnerable when you're feeling X, Y, Z, you can say this to me. So basically coaching him into what will be attractive to you. 
I would imagine that that's not something you want to do because if I have to tell you how to be attracted to me, then it doesn't make it authentic. And I think, yes, people feel that way, but I also think that's immature. And I learned okay, that great. through therapy as well because great. you should, I mean, that's important. You should be able to teach your partner to love you. And I also read like, that's even better if they hear you and then uh, apply it. And respond. That's, even, that's yes. more love because it's not just a reflex. It's someone who's intentionally making this change for yeah. you in particular. Great. That so, makes perfect sense. Yeah. That makes think, perfect sense. But what we're talking about, this is why I say it's a miracle because this is not going to, I'm not going to walk outside and just find this man at the stoplight when I go to McDonald's or something like, Listen, the word of God says, as you believe in your heart, so as a be. man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It also says, what's the other way of putting it? As you believe, so shall it be done unto you. I knew at the age of 25 that there was, that, that Michaela Janae, a Michaela Janae type existed on this earth. I knew it. I'd never seen it. I just knew and I was like, I'm going to run into her one day. But am I going to have the awareness to know what I ran into? Yeah, that's where it happened. That's it. That's it right there. So I put everything down and I began to prepare myself. I was like, OK, it's, it's kind of like the Olympics. Those guys trained for four years for nine, ten seconds. I had from. I gave my life to Christ on January the thirteenth. Nope, January the nineteenth, two thousand thirteen, and I knew it was it was my twenty fifth birthday had just passed in December. I had went to Atlanta and I had a wild night in Atlanta with one of my homegirls, and I woke up on December the twenty ninth and I was like, "All right, I'm done. This this I'm done lying. I can't tell another lie." So I called my girlfriend at the time. And I was like, listen, I lied. I was not coming to Atlanta to hang out with my homeboy. I was here to do something totally different. I don't even know why I'm telling you this because it doesn't benefit me, but I'm just done lying. That's the Holy Spirit right there. Like I said, I'm just done. From that point, I didn't have no more sex. I wasn't doing any of that. January 19th, I was. I don't know if you've heard my testimony, how I got saved. I don't have to repeat it. I will. Don't matter to me. I haven't heard it. Okay, so... December 29th, I woke up, my homegirl dropped me off at my homeboy's house. And I explained the whole thing to her, and I was just like, yo, I'm done. I said, I'm done. I called everybody. I told I just, every girl that I had that remotely loved me, I called them and told every one of them the oh truth. I'm like, hey, look, I'm, I'm just no good. Like, I really like you. I want to like you, but, you know, no. If you want to stay... You can be stupid if you want to, but I promise you it's not going to get any better anytime wow. soon. So I didn't have any more sex up until January 29th. I was still struggling with masturbation. Not even struggling. I was still like just yeah. freely. January 19th, I'm laying in my bed in the middle of the night. I mean, I'm laying in the bed. I'm literally jacking off. It's a Saturday night. And I'm saying to myself, like, I'm praying to God. I'm like, this can't not, this can't be what being a man is about. I'm 25 years old. I live with my mom and my daddy. I'm laying here. I'm doing this. God, if you're real, I need you to grab me right now. I put myself <laughs> up, went to sleep, went to church that next day, gave my life to Christ. From that day, I went 14 months, no sex, no masturbation, cold turkey. It revolutionized my life. The goal was to never have sex again until I got married. 
but just the success of being able to go a year, no sex or masturbation. Like I said, I starved myself. That's when I was able to say, okay, I understand what being a man is about. Immediately, I knew I wanted a wife. I knew I had to find a wife. I did all of that to prepare. Years in, years out, I went looking. I thought I had found some women. I kept recalibrating. I kept saying, God, I'm out here trying again. Come get me. I saw my wife, one young lady that one of my homegirls tried to hook me up with. Didn't work out. She was a little weird. Her birthday came, and I had scrolled past her birthday. And I was like, I ain't got to be a butthole. I can say happy birthday. It's just a few little. So I went back, said happy birthday, hit scene. Went back a few seconds later. Right underneath my comment, there was this young, dark-skinned chocolate oh, thing yes. right there with a little I said, oh, my movie. God. <laughs> On YouTube. Oh, yeah. my God. Who is that? And I DM'd her. I didn't have any. Like, cause you, when you DM a chick, it's like, all right, I got to make an impression. So I got to say something that's either funny or so serious that it, Somehow, it's confirmation yeah. spiritually. I had none of that, so I just I sent the little emoji with the little kid with his hand raised, <laughs> like waving. I just I just I sent that and nothing else. And she spoke back. That was it. So I said all that to say, all you must do is prepare yourself for the thing that you want, not having any expectation for how it's gonna come. The biblical scholars of Jesus's time were so hell-bent on who they thought Jesus was that they still denied the fact that he's come. Wow. You see what I'm saying? Jesus is like, I'm telling you, if you've seen the, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And they're saying, you ain't even, you ain't even old enough to, you ain't 50 years old. How in the world can you say you've seen Abraham? Our expectations have to go in the garbage can if we're going to be led by yeah. Christ. So at the end of the day, it's just you praying just for the awareness of when it crosses your path at the end of the day. And taking the small steps of faith along the way. Everybody's praying for a miracle when they didn't have to pray for a miracle if they just would have started saving $20 a week five years ago. Yeah, faith without works. Right. We want to spend we want to spend all the money and five years later we're gonna pray <laughs> to God for a miracle. God said, well, yeah, I can give you a miracle, but giving you a miracle doesn't teach you the lesson that you need to know to sustain the miracle. Yeah. The reason why I'm able to stay faithful to my wife is because for five years I burned bridges and I separated myself so far from it all that if I wanted to go have sex with a woman today, I would have to do too much to try (laughs) to rekindle a flame. It's just not there. That's what that is. God is saying, I need you to separate yourselves from the world. That's what sanctification is. Get yourself so far from the world that when the time, when the opportunity presents itself to come back, if you step back into it, you immediately know that ain't it. And if you contemplate and go on somewhere, it's not even worth it because you wouldn't yeah. know where to start. That's good. It's like I don't, I don't even have, or I even don't the even desire, have like, it for that. It's not even. It's too much work at this point. <laughs> it's too much. It would take an entirely different person to pull that off. I'm not that guy. And the awareness yeah. to admit that hey, I'm not that yeah. guy. Lord, forgive me for the thought. I bring myself back into subjection to you. I repent for even having it and contemplating on it, but that's not me. Man, a lot of good stuff. Okay, so what would be the thing you'd want, like if there was one thing someone took away from this for a man or for a woman? So what is the one thing you'd want them to take away from this conversation? That we live on planet Earth 
and every human that you encounter is going to be something is going to have something that you wouldn't prefer them having and you can't escape it every guy that you'll meet every woman that you'll meet you're going there's going to come a time where having them in your life is going to be the thing that you want the least but that's where you have to turn to yourself relation what i want people to take from this the good that comes to our life lives is never a result of anybody else in and of themselves the good that comes to our life is a resolve that we made in our own hearts that we're going to pursue whatever level of truth god has placed on our hearts the bible says he's given us all a measure of faith that's what sustains us and people can add to it nobody can be the source of it so if you're looking for a human that's just going to come sweep you off your feet and change the narrative for you it won't happen in this Maybe life. Maybe a little bit, but it's not going to do what you need it to. Or it's it's true, already happened. True. Jesus Christ yeah. did it. It's already happened. The one takeaway is don't expect any human to be perfect. Don't expect every preference to be met. But demand of yourself the thing mm-hmm. that you want from somebody else. And don't settle for less. If you demand of yourself whatever that thing is, settling for less is impossible. Alrighty. Well, I think everyone will fully enjoy this conversation. So thank you so much for coming on. I hope yeah. So. As you guys know, you can follow the parallel at the parallel pod on Instagram. And I will speak to you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Have a blessed day. Thank you for having me.